Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. We are here once again to talk about what it's like to live as an expat in a foreign country. We are stationed in Rome, Italy, as you heard from our cute little introduction, and um, I am here temporarily for a year, and Tiffany is here for the long term. She's been here for the last 10 years, and who knows, she may never come back to the United States for as long as she lives. Well, I wouldn't say as long as I live. I'll I'll come home to visit for sure. Well, fair enough. So I had an idea about uh, something to talk about today. I thought it might be interesting to talk about how when you are an expat and you move so far away from where you're from and where all of your family and friends live, it kind of gives you an interesting opportunity to start afresh, clean the slate, reinvent yourself. And begin again. Kind of begin again, yeah. Start over, leave the baggage behind, metaphorically and literally. I mean, when I moved here, I had to sell off almost all my possessions which was very freeing. Just took some books and clothes. That was about it. A few scarves, of course. And the same can be true. It doesn't have to be true. You can take all your baggage with you, uh, all your emotional baggage, or you can choose to sort of start afresh. And I'm just curious what your experiences of that were. Well, I'm also curious how different they would be based on the fact that I knew I was here temporarily and you knew that you were coming to stay. So for me, it's regardless of what I become over here, I am going to be stepping back into the city I used to live in. That's true, and there's another difference, that when you moved here, you moved with your husband, and you moved to a city where a very close friend of yours, namely me, was living. Right, so I have both of you to judge who I was before and the person yeah, that I am so here to today. Like, um, what is this new Katie? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> liking this new Katie. No, I, on the other hand, came alone. I did have a few contacts here. There were some very distant relatives of mine, but they didn't know me very well. And they certainly are not in my daily life and haven't been for a long time. So I had the opportunity to sort of start over. Why were you looking to start over? Well, first of all, just because I had the opportunity doesn't mean I did it. Uh, I don't know that I actually did. I, I would like to think that I, well, let me say that I would have liked to. I would have liked to... The idea is you fix all your flaws, right? Nobody knows me here, you know, so whatever your flaw is, let's say you're sort of a loud mouth attention seeker. Not that I'm talking about myself, but, you know, <laughs> let's just say that that's your flaw. And you think, okay, now nobody knows me and nobody's going to judge me and assume that I'm like that. So I can just immediately stop being like that and uh, I can be a better person or a more likable person or whatever it is. And some people maybe can do that. I think that I can't. I think maybe I am so set in my ways or I can't fake who I am, even if it's a flaw that I would like to correct. (laughs) Or it turns out that it takes a while to fix your flaws. Perhaps. Years and years of work, as I've been discovering while I'm here, because a lot of what I'm trying to do in my unemployed time is to get out of the cycle of working a ton and just always being busy, busy and looking at myself and figuring out what these flaws are, where they're coming from, so that I can stop them from repeating an endless cycle. Mm. Turns out, I'm not going to be able to accomplish that in a year. Wow. Well, if you can't do it, then you can't expect me to do it. (laughs) Because you're still working. (laughs) 
I'm still, I've been trying to do this for 10 years. <laughs> no. Well, it's an incremental process. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there is that fantasy that you can move overseas and almost take on a role of an entirely different character like exactly. they do in the movies. Exactly. No, I mean, I don't know if any of you out there listening ever did this when you were kids or young, very young adults. But Katie and I absolutely did a lot, which is that we would oftentimes pretend out in public to be people that we weren't, as in totally different name, different background, different everything. Different actions, different temperaments. Different personality. Everything was different. And, of course, we were quite young when we did this. <laughs> I think we were 13 or 14. So. This was called theater, not psychosis. Yes, the truth is we did take acting lessons, so we got away with pretending that we were just working on our craft. Well, we were really just trying to probably call attention to ourselves, or at least that probably was my, my motivation. But uh, I've always loved this idea of being a different person. And when I was even not so young, let's say in college, and I was flying back and forth across the United States because I went to university in Boston. And of course, I'm from Seattle, as you know, maybe when I was in the airport. I would pretend to be a different person. I would dress up and pretend I was maybe a businesswoman or something. Not pretend, but I would just try to imagine that I was, you know, try to make people believe that I was someone that I wasn't because it was it's exciting. And I absolutely did that when I was traveling through Europe at 19 or 20. And I used to pretend that I was half Italian or that, you know, I could speak perfect Italian, which I couldn't, but I could kind of fake it so that if you if you didn't speak Italian, I could I could kind of make you believe that I was half Italian, invent all these things. Our other close friend, Suzanne, did the same thing. We all used to say that we would we, we had to pretend we were European. Suzanne and I, at least, always had to be European. So we would fake French accents or Italian accents or even British accents if we were feeling lazy. And so that's kind of the idea. Not that, obviously, as an expat, you would go that far, because if you're going to be living in a place, you have to keep this persona up. So not changing your personality or who you are, but like I said, trying to fix your flaws, trying to... It's a, there's a certain amount of freedom, because nobody knows you from your past. Everybody is willing to take you at face value, and not just one new friend that you might have in your own city, but all of the new people that you come into contact with. Do you think that you were successful at all in keeping a clean slate in the sense that whatever baggage you were bringing from the past got left behind in the United States? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I came to Rome on the heels of a breakup, as actually a lot of expats will do. They will come after a big breakup. And it wasn't a terrible breakup, actually. It was pretty civil, mutual thing. But I know that that st stayed with me. I have very strong memories of my first year in Rome and not being able to forget about the person I had broken up with. And he actually would come and visit from time to time, and that did not help. So I, I don't. I'm lucky to think that I don't have an excessive amount of baggage. I don't think I do. But the little baggage that I do have, I think it's with me. I think it might be with me to stay. But not, I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing. So it may be that you just can't escape your problems. You could move halfway across the world, but unless you actually fix yourself, you're always going to be yourself. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as much as I'd like to imagine that I could prove you wrong, <laughs> I think that that's actually a, a good thing. I think if you could change your personality so easily, that would be worrying. What would be who would you be? Exactly. For some reason, this is reminding me a little bit of not so much leaving baggage behind or 
becoming somebody different intentionally. But I'm remembering a period in my life when I felt like I had sort of a dual life going on. I grew up, I don't know if I've mentioned it in the podcast or not, but I grew up in Minnesota in a town called Brainerd, Minnesota, which is growing. But when we were kids, it was still considered a very small town, I think. I moved from that littler place to Seattle area, which for me was a big shock, partly just because I was a kid in elementary school and I didn't want to move, but also because uh, my parents moved to Mercer Island, which if you're not familiar with the Seattle area is about the richest pocket of the entire Puget Sound area. I was surrounded by kids who had a lot of money, whereas when I was a younger person living in Brainerd, I was surrounded by people who had no money for the most part. Everybody was about the same par. Um, nobody had a lot of money. And all of a sudden, I ha still don't have any money, and I'm surrounded by people who have a ton of money. So, And I'm making the adjustment to just being the new kid. And every year, I used to fly back to Brainerd all the way through my high school experience. And so I had the me that was in Brainerd that had left, who was well-liked, uh, had a really good best friend there. Maybe because I was from the big city came off as being cool. Maybe. They definitely took some fashion trends from me, which I was not a fashionable human person. Uh, when, you, when you went back, you're saying? When I went back. All of a sudden, I'm like one of the popular girls. When I come back to Mercer Island, not the case anymore. Not, not a popular girl. Nobody's taking any fashion tips from me. In fact, they all think I don't know how to dress to save my life. <laughs> you know, all these things. So it was almost like a dual personality. In Brainerd, I was cool. On Mercer Island, I was not cool. And how much time did you spend in Brainerd after moving to Mercer Island? I was there for at least a week every year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I went on dates there. I had like an entirely different high school experience there. Not that I... You know, I did well in high school, I think, on Mercer Island. I had a lot of friends and a lot of different kinds of groups. I don't feel like I was alone and a misfit toy or something like that. But I was definitely um, cooler in Brainerd. Interesting. Now, I should know this, having known you for so long, but I don't think I've ever asked you how old you were when you moved from Minnesota to Seattle. I was going into the fifth grade. Okay, so I would have met you the next year. Mm -hmm. So you had only lived in Seattle one year when I met you. See, I didn't know that. I didn't realize when you came. That's when. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. So that was a really long story that I'll probably edit down a little bit. No, but it's interesting because it does also, it does also point out what you just said, that you can be, it, not that your personality changes, but because of how you're perceived by different people, you are, in a sense, a different person. And I feel that as well because... When I am in Seattle or anywhere in the States, I do feel different from myself here. And now, it's, I'm, now I'm contradicting myself because I just said I didn't change my personality when I moved here. And I didn't. But when I'm in the States, I feel very European. I go into a coffee shop and they serve me tea in a paper cup and I'm just outraged with no teapot. Or I go with my husband and they serve him a cappuccino that's two miles high and scalding hot and I think what is this and also with my family my family they all think I'm a freak really I have a very spread out family I have a lot of half sisters and stepbrothers and many 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 nieces and nephews some of which are grown and have their own children so I have this very wide family and I think a lot of them 
think I'm quite have become kind of foreign like someone who moves abroad or moves to Britain and comes back with a British accent and you think what is that person putting on and although I don't speak with an Italian accent at least I hope I don't I feel sometimes like maybe in the states that people think she's moved to Europe and now she thinks she's European and I don't think I'm European but I definitely see things differently and in some ways you are a European you've lived here for a decade that's a long time that's enough time to change your habits as far as culturally mm-hmm. definitely and it's more than half of my adult life as well which is a scary thought that is a scary thought for me if you want to break it down like that the person that I am here I don't think it even resembles who I was at home my world is so small here it's me it's Derek my husband it's you it's a couple friends I made on the outskirts otherwise I'm fairly isolated from the wor- world. Not that I'm not wandering the city, but we all well know by now that I don't speak the language very well. All these things, blah, 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 blah. And I, I have no career. So in that way, it's been kind of a shock and not a totally unenjoyable shock, but I'm used to being a person with a lot of responsibility who's teaching others how to do things and and I'm learning a lot every day and I'm I'm looked to as a person who knows things. Right. And and now I'm not looked to for anything. If anything, my job is to, um, since Derek has to be in school, to do more of the grocery shopping, which in the past was something that we both shared equally because we were both incredibly busy people. Mm, that is so I don't know if I like my new role in that regard. Well, it's, it's a similar role as the role of a lot of people, particularly women, who are what they call expat wives. And it's not always the the husband who has the important job, but it's more likely for a woman to say, okay, I'll take care of the kids and I won't work. And, And in that case, so I'm not trying to be sexist here by saying it's only women, but it's generally women who, you know, if their husbands are diplomats or have international jobs, they move from city to city. I know a woman who's lived in Rome, she's lived in Madrid, she's lived in Paris, now she lives in Hong Kong. And I can't imagine what that must be like. Not that those aren't wonderful places to be, and I'm partially kind of envious because I would love to live in all of those places. But she must go through that as well. You know, she's just got the kids and she doesn't work and she's there to support her husband and to make sure everything runs smoothly while he's maybe doing something incredibly taxing or difficult. And she's trying to maneuver this world that she doesn't know and doesn't understand. It must be very difficult. Well, that's the thing. It's an incredible adventure. But at the same time, it's, it also can be a very isolating adventure. You can get a little too deep into yourself in the midst of all this if you don't keep looking outward and reaching outward for other human contact. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, actually. I didn't think about it from that sense. Because when I moved here, I didn't, I didn't experience it that way because I didn't come with anyone else. And so unless I wanted to be at home inside my tiny bedroom of the shared apartment I was living with, all the time I had to go out I had to force myself to uh, to to meet people and not that you haven't but um, I had a little more reason to (laughs) and and you also had to I mean you were in the process of trying to start a life here so you also had to not only reach out to people and try to make friends but you had to find work you had to that's true engage in all these things where I know that I'm only here for a certain period of time so I could try to find some under the table job but at the same point the person would have to hire me knowing that I'm going to be leaving in a few months. Yeah, very unlikely. 
This is all very interesting. <laughs> so do I like the new me? Yes, I do, because I'm much more worldly. And I'm, I think, more centered, at least heading toward more centered. But um, I do miss the sheer number of people I used to engage with and the sheer number of ideas I used to engage with back well, home. It also must be, I can imagine that it must be, I don't want to say frustrating, but you're used to, like you said, being looked to. You're used to being looked up to probably as well and respected not just for your who you are, which is obviously you should be respected simply for who you are as well, but you're respected for the job that you have. You go places, people know you, you're a local celebrity and people recognize your voice and if you tell them what you do, it's impressive. And I'm not saying that you are so vain that you need this kind of approval from other people or this reaction from other people, but I can imagine that going from that, a very high profile and serious and important and time-consuming job to as you said, being unemployed or working freelance, let's be honest, you are doing a little work. Um, it must be difficult for the ego. Yeah, I guess so. I think it is. It's more difficult, not for the ego in the sense of what you're talking about, as far as not being in the public eye for this period of time. That's fine. But I think it's more for the ego in just doubting yourself, because a lot of the things that showed off your strengths and the things that you really like about yourself your intuition, your intelligence, collaborating with other people, all those things that were things I really liked about myself don't exist here. Instead, it's about self-contemplation, studying, doing housework, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, on the loose side. So it's much more, uh, it's not parts of me that I don't like, but it is more internal and it's not highlighting all those things that I like about myself that's normally a part of my everyday life. When you were just saying that, it made me think that it might be similar to what it feels like to go from a career to having a baby and being at least a temp, not necessarily a full-time stay-at-home mom, like for the long term, but, you know, maybe the first six months, the first year of your baby's life, you might stay home. And going from that, going from being around lots of people, interacting, having stimulating conversations, having important tasks, to all of a sudden being a milk machine or you know, whatever <laughs> no, ouch no not to no cut that part cut that no no i i but get you, what you're but saying what i'm saying is and i'm not at all putting it down i'm saying that it must be a challenge for women who who make that switch and who who change so drastically and, and it might be similar to what you went through well it certainly would be a change of how you see yourself probably the most extreme change in how you see yourself would be having a child in general something you're contemplating but I had a friend once that said to me, and I should mention, neither one of us have children at this point in our mid-30s. Something we're both talking about over the course of this year, but no decisions have been made. So that aside, I did have a friend who said to me once that a person could not become an adult, in his opinion, until they have a child of their own. What does that mean? Does that mean all of the people who are childless are not adults? See, I didn't necessarily agree with that statement. I don't agree with that statement at all. But his point was until he found that he was not just a guy who was working and hanging out with his friends and cleaning his house and managing his space and feeding himself, until he was responsible for another human being, somebody who was smaller than him, looking to him for everything, he always felt like he was footloose and fancy free, like a young person. And that was what changed him into an adult, becoming a parent. Where all of a sudden you remember being a kid and seeing adults and saying, that's an adult. Whereas when you actually get to 30, 
you don't feel like an adult necessarily. You think, why did I think those people were so old when I was a kid? Right? Well, I think that was his point. Yes. I mean, I definitely don't feel like an adult. I still feel like I should be 17. But what, what does that say then about people who don't ever have kids, who make that choice or aren't able to have kids? Does that mean that they're, they never grow up? They never feel like adults? Well, I hope not. <laughs> or maybe it is. Maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Maybe. I don't know. Those, yeah. If you are one of those people, and I might be quickly becoming one of these people, send us an email, bittersweetlife at mail.com. After he said that, though, I did ask another friend of mine who was in the room who didn't have children. I said, well, when did you think that you were an adult? And his answer was, when I spent $3,000 on new gutters for my house, and I felt good about it. <laughs> wow. That's an adult thing. Yes. $3,000 for gutters? It was a big house. And an old house. Mm. That needed a lot of work. I think, okay, we're really going off topic now. But <laughs> I think that being married might make you feel like an adult. That's also an, a responsibility that you have to another person, although they're not necessarily dependent on you. And I do think that, in some ways for me, moving overseas and seeing that even though it sounds in a lot of these podcasts like I'm flailing, seeing that I can actually make it living in another culture and be happy for the most part has taught me a lot about adulthood in general and that whatever path you're on doesn't have to be the path that you're on forever. Because sometimes when you get in a career, you just feel like I'm going to do this and then I'll do this and I'm loyal to this company and they're going to love me and they're going to pay me back and I'll be here for the next 30 years. And then for me this year, choosing to leave the place I had worked for 11 years and do this instead for the adventure of it just showed me that regardless, you can always change the path. You can always throw a wrench in and say, yeah, screw it. I'm moving overseas. Whether or not you'll like it when you get there is a whole other matter. Wise words. Are they? Great. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are. They're very good because as maybe perhaps one day we will talk about on a future podcast, every so often I have thoughts about leaving Rome. Yes, I think we've touched on that a little bit. And maybe. I'm on the campaign to um, have you move back to the States. I don't think that that's very likely. But I have been thinking about it more this year than ever before, leaving Rome, but not to go back to the States, probably, to go somewhere else. But to me, that moving somewhere else in Europe even is scarier than the thought of moving here was, never having lived outside of North America at 27. So, and being alone then, and now I'm married and, and have more experience. And the thought of leaving scares me so much more than it used to than the idea of leaving america did and, and i and i need to figure out why that is but uh, it, it's good to hear what you say well it's possible that you feel like you're leaving more behind not only the picture of who you thought you were going to be as a young person who would be living in rome happy and, and fancy free but also leaving behind all everything you've built here and starting over yeah that's it I, th I think that could be it or or it could just be also when you do start over once and you really start over, have to find a new job and a new place to live, learn a new language, make a whole new set of friends, create a new life for yourself. When you've done that once, the idea of doing it again, 10 years later, when you're a little bit less energetic, is terrifying. But it might be great. 
It might be. Who knows? Anything could happen. I'll just throw that wrench and see where it lands. So we'll also take suggestions on where Tiffany should move. <laughs> yes, like, please. Ta- send send us suggestions and maybe I'll like throw a dart and just go there. Yeah, that would be a good podcast. We could both go there. Anyway, should we leave it there? I think so. All right. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.